What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Okay, so we're in our series in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is writing to us. The Corinthians have written to him asking him some questions. He's got some answers for him. He's written them back in a letter and he's also going to give them some input of his own. Chapters 12 and 14, uh, the two chapters that deal specifically with the issues pertaining to what might be called in your Bible spiritual gifts. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift that is bestowed upon them at conversion when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. A gift from the Holy Spirit empowers you uh, to a meaningful way of serving as a follower of Jesus. It's partnership with his spirit. It's something that is direct from God that comes to you. We've all got skills and abilities and coordination and intellect, but this is a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says, there are different kinds of gifts. There are lots of different gifts. Uh, Bryce talked us through this in chapter 12 with a bunch of different lists. It's probably more than that in actual fact. There are different kinds of gifts, but they are all given to the believers by the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The gifts are given to build up the body, the community of believers. Verse 7, same chapter, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's for the good of the body, to build up the body. No one person has all the gifts. We all form part of a body. Verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, all his parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So no one is an island. No one gets them all. We can't do it alone. We must work together as a part of the body. What Paul refers to multiple times in Scripture as the bride of Christ, not least of which Ephesians chapter 5, where he talks about Christ and the church, husband and wife, this partnership, this connection, the body of Christ, that's the church. So chapters 12 and 14 talk to us about the use of these gifts given to us through the Spirit for the good of the church, his bride. We just transitioned last week out of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. If you are wondering what God is like, read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Wherever you see the word love, insert the word God and you will get a picture of what God is like. 1 John says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It's an amazing chapter. It's tranquil. It's beautiful. It's poetic. Uh, and we finished that last week. Today we step out of that uh, into chapter 14. We move back into Paul's picture of instruction, correction, alignment and focus on the gifts, back into the detail. So chapter 14 verse 1 starts like this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, 
especially prophecy. Now, in your Bible, depending on the translation you've got, the time it was written, the word gifts will be in italics there. What that means is that it wasn't there in the original writing of this passage. It's been inserted later by translators to help us understand, help us to get a clearer picture of what the text is saying. In the original, it says, eagerly desire the spirituals, or the pneumatica is what the word is in the Greek. Eagerly desire the pneumatica. That's our focus for today. Let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, as we come together now, we want to just uh, still our hearts. This passage for many in the room will have uh, a strong conviction and thought and process already attached to it. It'll be concerning for some even that we're going to open this now, be interesting for others. What we really want to do is hear from you, understand what Paul is saying in this passage, who he's writing to why he's writing and what it means for us today. We want to understand that clearly. So we just ask that you will grant us that uh, as we open your word together now in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a leaning in our culture today about gifts. We give gifts to each other to bless each other, to say you're special I like you, I love you even. We spend a little more on the people we love a little more. We think to ourselves, what would they like? What would they appreciate? What would they value? This is for them, what would they want? The word gift here in the scripture, with that cultural overlay that we bring as we read it, can actually be a little bit misleading to us. That word actually might be leading us astray. It's supposed to help us understand, but it might be leading us astray. We ask, what spiritual gift did you get? Like it comes in a box, what did you get? What's your gift? Uh, I got helps. Oh, bummer. Yeah, I know. What did you get? Oh, I got generosity. Oh, ouch. That hurts. Yeah. What have you got? I don't know. I haven't opened it yet. I'm not sure what's in there. I wonder what it is. I wonder if I can trade it in on healing. Like this concept of what we get is so focused on us. What do I want? What's in it for me? What would I appreciate? We've all seen a kid open a gift before of something that they didn't want, right? (laughs) This is not what I wanted. Throw it back at Santa. Just dad. The Corinthians smell a bit like this. So Paul is giving them some instruction about spiritual gifts. He's trying to get them on the right track. They have a particular focus that's about themselves. Desire the spiritual, says Paul. The pneumatica. Especially prophecy, he says. What we understand today in our structure most likely is the word forthtelling. That's the most common use of that word prophecy, forthtelling. The building up of the body, the teaching gifts, the proclaiming gifts. In this time, there was not a completed Bible like we have today. So the proclaiming gifts, the teaching, 
gifts, the talking gifts, much like the way Paul and Peter did, moved from town to town, preaching the gospel, telling the story of the gospel, was so important to its growth and the traction. So Paul starts this chapter by saying, pursue the manifestations, the presence of the Spirit of God in you, especially the gift of prophecy. Pursue the spirituals. Jesus said it to his disciples like this in John 16. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's the advocate? The Holy Spirit. The presence of God in you, distributing these gifts. So pursue the spirituals, Paul says. This is good. Pursue the pneumatica, especially prophecy, because it will do the most good because it builds up the believers. Contrast that with the picture that he addresses in verse 2, same chapter, verse 14. For he who speaks in a tongue, which is also a spoken gift, a verbal gift, does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. The Corinthians were on a real tongues kick here. They were just going off their tree for it. They were loving it. They were all opening the same box, they thought, and they were just going crazy for tongues. The word tongue here is glossé. It means God-inspired speech. They don't understand it. It's inspired by God to them. He has planted this speech within them, is what this text is saying, is what this word means. And it's described in this verse here as a mystery, something that you can't understand fully, you can't fathom. The spirit, the work of the spirit is also described as a mystery. We saw that in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians that we talked through earlier on in this season, uh, in this series. So here Jesus explains this picture, the mystery of the Holy Spirit and the gifts attached to to Nicodemus. He's a religious leader of the time. Nicodemus couldn't get his head around the spiritual plane here as he's talking to Jesus. He was thinking in the natural, in the physical, the visual. John 3 says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, says Jesus in John 3. Jesus says in this passage in John 3, uses the words wind and spirit. They're the same word, pneuma. Before we were talking about the spirituals, the pneumatica, here we're talking about the wind and the spirit, the pneuma. It's the same root word. The glossé, the God-inspired speech, is born of the pneuma, the pneumatica. And it's a mystery, says Paul. 1 Corinthians verse 5. Paul speaking still. In fact, let's just go to verse 4. That might come up on the screen, I'm not sure. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, the glossé, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Paul's drawing a distinction between the two. He's saying, when you speak in this God-inspired tongue, it really comes 
to you and it's connection between you and God. But when you speak prophetically, you foretell the story of the gospel in, its, uh, in, in the gospel sense or in your own testimony sense, you're benefiting the people. There's a benefit for the body. That's what he's addressing there. Verse 5, he says this, I would like all of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather that you prophesy. The, ones who, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets it so that the church may be edified. Paul wants... The fo- he's got the focus of the church here. He wants the church to be built up. So his focus is on the prophetic gift here. Um, not so much that picture of the self. I'd rather that you prophesy unless someone interprets. Oh boy, here's a little complexity. So the glossae, speaking in tongues, is a gift from God. It's God's spirit speaking to your spirit. It's a supernatural thing. God bestows this upon you. And then you will speak back to God. You don't understand it. Others around won't understand it. You speak back to God. But what can you and I offer to God? Seriously. You are a created being, as am I, a sinful being who's been redeemed, as Bruce highlighted before. You're a masterpiece of God but being redeemed, what could you possibly offer back to God? Well, there's only a couple of things, really. Praise and adoration can come from our hearts and our lips to God or possibly a prayer and a petition. The picture here is God bringing his voice through uh, the Holy Spirit into you so that you can give back to him praise or prayer. That's the glossae. So when an interpreter comes along, which is another gift, by the way, the gift of interpretation, if accurate, will always bring an interpretation of praise and adoration or possibly a prayer or petition. If God's instruction, if God wanted to instruct in the spirituals, in the pneumatica, in a spiritual way, he would do that, we see through Scripture, through the gift of prophecy or forth-telling. Someone would have a gift of bringing the word as distinct from a message through a a self-edifying gift. Paul gives an illustration of that in verses 6 to 12. He talks about the musical instrument, the trumpet. He makes his point. If I was to play the uh, keyboard here, uh, or the piano... We didn't set that up too well. If I was to play the keyboard for you, right, that would be akin to me playing music for you of praise and adoration in the gift of tongues because I don't know how to play the keyboard. So when you listen to that, I would play and your ears would hurt and you wouldn't understand. You'd have no idea what's happening. I might enjoy it. I might think I'm a bit of a Billy Joel kind of feel at the keys, the piano man, but it would just be me, right? But when I ask Caden to come and play the keyboard or the piano, who has the interpretive gift of being able to play music, it then blesses the whole community, the gift of interpretation. He understands how to do it. 
I'll make a noise that you don't understand and you might not appreciate, but he would make a noise that gives clarity. That's Paul's point as he walks through verses 6 to 12. Now, Paul gets practical, verses 18 to 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five coherent words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul here identifies for the only time in Scripture, remember that he wrote a third of the New Testament, he identifies here that he speaks in tongues himself. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. He doesn't presume that they know that already. There are segments of the Christian community that have an understanding of this. It's likely that he's never spoken in tongues in public before, never at a gathering. But he says, I thank God that I do have this gift. It would appear that a part of his spiritual gifting, his receiving of the pneumatica, is that of this spiritual language, the heavenly language. But he has some really strong advice here for the Corinthians as they seek to exercise the use of this gift. Who should speak in tongues? When and how often should they do it? Verse 26 to 28. What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a psalm or a teaching, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done to build up the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak in turn and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he should remain silent in the church and speak only to himself and God. There's some real practicalities that Paul is laying down here and quite frankly, there's some really tight limits on this gifting. Remember, Paul is speaking... Uh, to what appears to be exclusively about the church gathered, the community of people. This is a home setting, mind you. It's not a synagogue environment. So there's maybe 30 or 35 people in this environment maximum. He's already said tongues is is primarily about the individual, edification for the individual. And the gathering, the gathered group like this, is about edification for the body, the whole community. So he says it's less helpful, maybe even unhelpful, if you have a non-Christian in the room, they need to hear the story of the gospel in an intelligible language. That's what we read in Acts chapter 2, what I was referencing before. Um, When Peter preaches the gospel at this uh, rooftop environment in Acts chapter 2, he preaches... Uh, in probably Aramaic, the known language of the community. 3,000 people respond. But he doesn't preach in tongues. They were speaking in tongues before that when it was just uh, the, the Christians present. So in this passage here, he's restricting the use of the glossae, tongues, to two or three people maximum with an interpreter. But even that, quite frankly, is hard to see how it would be helpful or beneficial to the community. Maybe that's why he's never actually activated the gift himself in a church setting. That position is further supported by what he says in verses 32 and 33. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. 
He's talking about the prophetic gift here, but it actually overlays across all of the spiritual gifts that he's talking about. The spiritual gifts, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's saying to the community here, there's no excuses, Corinthians. No one can say, I can't control myself, or uh, God made me do it, or the spirit in me caused me to act this way, or say these things. He says, the manifestations of the spirit within you are subject to the individual. You say it or you don't say it, says Paul, when it comes to tongues. It's not to get out of control. God is a God of order and a God of peace. Then he ends with this this passage with this sober reminder. Paul speaking, I didn't insert this myself. So, my brothers, be eager to prophesy... And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything must be done in a proper and orderly manner. So, let's understand and address this passage and the use of gifts in our context today. Let's understand that for today, 2022 on the Gold Coast. Are the spirituals, the pneumatica, are they valid for, the, for today or more accurately, are the sign gifts or the miraculous gifts still valid for today? Bryce had already spoken about this earlier in the message, in his message in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. But let me recap that briefly. And I want us to take as much of the defining terminology out of play here, out of this conversation. Because so many of the terms here are loaded. They bring bias and conclusion that we haven't naturally reached. So there are some segments of the church who believe that, this is today, that believe that certain gifts were in play for a particular season, for a specific reason. There's also a segment of the church, broadly, that believe that the gifts that we see, the the miraculous gifts that we see in the Bible, are to continue through the full age of the church until the return of Jesus. So within that, there's obviously debate and disagreement. But there's an early point of alignment. It's important to understand. Most people will agree that from the perspective that the gift of apostleship, as seen in the book of Acts, the traditional, uh, original picture of that gift of apostleship, uh, is seen primarily in its truest form as a transition of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the twelve, who transitioned post-Jesus' ascension to becoming apostles uh, in the early church. Now, the the apostle Paul was added to that picture after his conversion and his face-to-face meeting with Jesus, and Judas obviously passed away at the end of um, Jesus' time as well. There's a couple of others who were added to that picture as well. Um, But there's a really tight criteria about having first-hand, face-to-face contact with Jesus for the original apostle picture. There's not much argument amongst that around commentators. Uh, It's not a particularly uh, hot topic. But the four key manifestations of the spirituals around the miraculous uh, have a bit more conjecture. Tongues, prophecy, healing, words of knowledge. Did these gifts or manifestations die out with these original apostles? That's a legitimate biblical position and lots of people hold that, including some here in our church. Where does that view come from? Well, it in part comes from the passage that we looked at last week, 1 Corinthians 13, 
uh, and a passage in 1 Corinthians 12. If you believe the role of the apostles finished with the original apostles, as we just spoke about, the sign gifts, uh, it would seem possible, maybe even likely, that those gifts stop with those people when they're no longer with us, right? For some, that is the frame in which they will look through this particular verse, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. I persevere. This is Paul talking about his own gifting and his validation as an apostle. He said, I persevere, demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, that really um, detailed picture there, including signs, wonders and miracles. So you can see how those two get tied together, the original apostles and these miraculous giftings. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 to 12 say this, But there are prophecies, but where there are prophecies they will cease, where there are tongues they will be stilled, where there is knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, uh, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put ways of childhood behind me. For now I see only as a reflection as in a mirror, then we will see face to face. I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And then Paul finishes with that faith, hope and love picture. To see these gifts primarily as validation of the original apostles, just before I move on from that, those two texts um, bring an argument that scripture might limit the use of those gifts to the apostles the original apostles, because it was validating their ministry as present with Jesus. And the inference is that the 1 Corinthians 13 passage says that those gifts will pass away, die out um, in that context as well. But it could just as easily or possibly more easily be interpreted as the return of Christ. When Jesus returns... We no longer have the need for the teaching, the prophetic, because Jesus will be present, will be with him. Uh, he'll be present with us. The knowledge that we require uh, and the, uh, the, the tongues that would interact us, God, delivered, Jesus is right next to us. And so that, uh, you know, is a bit of a challenge in that context of that theology. To see the gifts primarily as a validation of the original apostles has flaws. It dismisses texts like these in the New Testament. Stephen, who was full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, but he wasn't an apostle. He's doing the things that may be attested to the apostles' role and even validated Jesus' ministry, but Stephen wasn't an apostle himself. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen had a vision of the glory of God and Jesus next to the right hand of God. Um, miraculous insight, but that's not explaining that he was, validate, it was being validating his role as an apostle because he wasn't one. Philip, a deacon, performed many miraculous signs we read in Acts chapter 8. He healed the sick, he drove out demons and he displayed great miracles. There were no, more non-apostolic Christians in Antioch who prophesied in Acts chapter 13. The disciples of John the Baptist prophesied in Acts chapter 19. 
Philip's four daughters were identified in Acts uh, chapter 21 as having the gift of prophecy and therefore prophesying, but they're not validating their role as early apostles. Christians right across the church in Corinth received spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. It wasn't restricted to specific people in the community or those that were apostles. And the Holy Spirit worked miracles among the Galatians in Galatians 3. None of these are examples that are there in the context of validating the apostles' ministry. The workings of the early church in Acts and beyond. The other key argument to the limiting of these gifts is that because we didn't have completed scripture, a Bible like this in the time, the signs uh, were necessary to validate the work of those in that time frame because we didn't have a completed Bible. Revelation 22 says this, I warn everyone, this is John uh, writing this uh, from Patmos, the last uh, book of the Bible, last chapter. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. In other words, don't add to scripture, right? Don't go putting your own fingerprint over the top and suggesting you have more information. By midway through the second century, the New Testament was operating primarily from what we see today as the Bible. Um, it did take some time beyond that, late into the third century, for it to be clearly signed off by various councils who give authority over these kinds of things. The reason that is a marker point is because the discussion around the signed gifts is that some people hold a view that um, various segments of the church contravene this uh, mandate put down by John here in Revelation 2 to saying don't add to scripture. As I say, when a person has or activates their gift of prophecy or gift of tongues even, they are holding their own word, that interpretation from God, that word they've got from God, as equivalent or more important than scripture. And we shouldn't do that. John is saying here, don't add to scripture. Scripture is our ultimate authority. Hold the authority and instruction uh, that comes from gifts like prophecy and apostolic direction, word of knowledge, as equal to scripture. We should not do that. They should go through a filter of scripture rather than being held as parallel or even above. This is Paul's point and Bryce may elaborate on this next week as we look more into chapter 14. Verse 29 says, Two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. And the way you would weigh carefully what is said is, does it line up with Scripture? Does it meet the criteria, what's outlined, the principles in Scripture, etc.? If it contravenes that, we have a problem. So, back to the word glossé, tongues. How would someone use the gift of tongues today, and in particular in a church service? Well, as we spoke about before, two or three, maybe, with an interpreter is Paul's suggestion. Remember the apostles are in a group of 30 to 35 people. We're in a room of 350 here. So I would suggest to you it's not going to be the first two or three people who rush the stage um, get to speak in tongues, right? That's not the process that Paul is endorsing here. 
what would likely happen in a gathering point now, if this gift was valid, if you perceive that you have it or it was a valid setting, you would come to the person who is leading that meeting. That might be me, it could be Bryce, it could be one of our ministry team, maybe some of our elders, and you would say, I have a tongue I want to bring. Well, do you have an interpreter? Yeah, I've got an interpreter, come forward, interpreter. And we would then need to validate, firstly, the gifting of that individual to bring and address something. Nobody gets to get up here and just say whatever they want, right? Um, You would need to bring validation about the gifting, we would need to sign off for that, and the gifting of the interpreter. Then we would probably need to hear a little bit of what that message is and actually weigh up whether we believe it is appropriate. We might pull the elders in for that. We might pray about it for a while. You can see the complexity, right? It's not a free-for-all. It's not a first two or three get to have a crack in this kind of environment. This is why Paul, I think, is putting such solid restrictions on the use of this gift. Well, what would happen, Steve, if you are validating this gifting? What would you do if someone stood up in the middle of the service and just started speaking in tongues? What would you do then? Hey, answer that. All right, well, calm down. Give me a minute. We would be gracious in that environment, like we would if anyone stood up in the middle of a service and had something to say that wasn't authorised or something happened that we hadn't planned for, someone collapsed, whatever, we would be gracious in that environment. If it was some interruption into a church service, whether it's in English or American or a tongue, um, we would be gracious but you would be stopped. Um, and you would go outside and uh, explain yourself. <laughs> There'd be conversation that would take place. It's not just about tongues, it's about actually the form of the community and what is orderly and appropriate in that setting. Just because it's difficult or unlikely in a church service or format doesn't mean the gifts aren't real or they aren't present. It doesn't mean the gift can't be used in another setting, another format, like the Apostle Paul did. What do we miss out on here at Southport if we choose not to engage the broad set of gifts in any form? This is the Word of God, by the way. This is... We're just teaching through the text of 1 Corinthians. This is not your pastoral team or your elders trying to set a structure that suits us about how we gather. This is actually the word of God. This is what Paul's saying. This is us understanding it. There would be multiple places that you could use that gift of tongues in particular. Home group environments, in a personal process, much like the Apostle Paul did, we think. What would be the benefit of a person having themselves edified? What is the benefit of that for the whole community? Well, it's the same for all of us. When there's a sense of edification, whether it comes through another individual, whether it comes directly from Scripture or it comes through this gifting, There's a sense of confidence that God has empowered you, he's growing you, he's using you in the community. When Don comes and says to me during the week, comes into my office and 
shuts the door and says, hey, listen, Steve, you're doing a great job. I really appreciated what you shared in our staff meeting on Monday. I thought that was really appropriate for our team. It was really encouraging for the team. That's an edification from God coming through his servant, Don. And what that does for me is that it spurs me on and inspires me to continue to serve as we do that in the team context. Every one of us needs edification from each other, affirmation direct from God and from each other. The alternative to that is that Don comes into my office every other day, shuts the door and says, that was an awful devotion. I think you really missed the mark. You didn't read the room. You don't understand the team. You don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you got this job. And when are you going to finish up? And then leaves my office. He hardly ever does that. (laughs) He's never done that, right? You can see the contrast in the two, right? When God says, I've empowered you, I've gifted you, I want to build you up, I want to use you, that empowers you to serve the community and build up the whole body. Here's what Paul says at the end, verses 39 and 40. So, my brothers... Uh, This is after he's given instruction about the specifics of this gift that the Corinthians are absolutely throwing all their energy at and they're messing it up badly, right? It's impacting the broader community. Non-Christians are accusing them of being drunk and silly and and, kind of out of order, etc. Paul's trying to correct that. Here's what he says. So, my brothers, be eager to prophesy because his heart is for the church, the growth of the community. Be eager to bring those gifts that edify the whole community. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything must be done in a proper and orderly manner. Andre Nasser born in 1980. He's 42 years of age. He's Australia's heaviest man. 468 kilos he weighs. If you saw Andre walking down the street, I think it would be highly unlikely. But if you did, if you saw Andre walking down the street, you'd look at the guy and you say, he's huge. He's maybe 460 kilos you would be close, you'd be only eight off. You might say to yourself, look at what eating so much food has done to that guy. That's shocking. I don't like it. I'm going to make a decision right now. I will never eat food again. (laughs) I don't want to end up like that. I'm going to stop the consumption of all food. I'm going to live my life without eating food because I don't want to end up like that. Because that's shocking and it's wrong. How silly would that be? The gifts of the spirit, the spirituals, the pneumatica are gifts to you and I. Not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the community. We're required to work together to support each other, encourage each other, and activate all that God has for us. To see what God wants to do in us 
and through us. That's what Paul is trying to get to in this passage. I'm going to pray, and then the worship team are going to come up and lead us in our final song. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you now. We recognise the complexity of this topic. Lord, everyone who's been around church for more than a couple of years will have a view and will have a posture, will have a set of heels that they can dig in. Lord, as we've opened this passage this morning, we would just invite your spirit to speak to us. If we have held to something that is not of you, that is more about our own convenience, our own protection, Lord, just loosen that for us a bit. We know that you love us and you want to build your body and that's what Paul is addressing here. So we just ask that you would continue to do that in us as we seek to be faithful to your word uh, and to what you would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen.